Welcome to We Talk Banking Finance with Walkers, where we talk to colleagues and peers about the latest trends in offshore finance. So it's always an interesting time to be talking about cryptocurrencies, and the last few months have been more interesting than most. My name's Sarah Hall. I'm a partner in Walker's Risk and Regulatory Advisory Group, and I'm based in London, practicing British Virgin Islands, Cayman Islands, and Bermuda law. And I advise primarily on regulatory law and digital assets. My digital assets practice is where we're going to be focusing today, and particularly on what recent events in the news mean at a practical level and the extent to which these challenges come with opportunities. I'm joined today by Jérôme Rousselot. Jérôme is the founder and CEO of Gita Digital, and that's a global fintech innovation business based in London with offices across Europe and also in Toronto. Jérôme's vision embraces the opportunity that fintech offers in Jérôme's words, to completely rebuild the world's financial infrastructure. So welcome, Jérôme, and thank you for joining us. Great to join you on this call, Sarah. As a starting point, I'd like to ask you for your observations in relation to the relationship between, on the one hand, the so-called TradFi-friendly financial services industry and the non traditional financial service industry and how stable coins straddle those two worlds. So over to you, Jerome. So um, two questions here, the relation between CFI and TradFi and the role of stable coins. So what are stable coins? They are uh, blockchain tokens, blockchain digital assets that aim to represent one US dollar or one euro, but mostly US dollar. Why do they exist? Why do we need that in the blockchain world? It's because people want to go from risk on assets, most crypto assets, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or some DeFi tokens. They want to take profit from time to time. And and they do that by selling these risk on assets uh, against fiat, US dollar. And there are several ways to do that. They can do it. First on an exchange, centralized exchange, which is a CFI structure, or they can do it on a DeFi exchange run by smart contract on chain and exchange one risk asset against a risk off asset. And then if you do it on an exchange, then you have a balance on your exchange, but it's just a number in the front end, right? And you need to trust the legal entity operating this exchange and you need to trust the bank behind it and the regulatory framework around that legal entity. And then you also need to be able to cash it out of the exchange, send it to a, a bank account. And, and these links are very uh, sensitive in this industry. We've seen recently two major banks for the crypto industry, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank, were shut down by the US regulator. So um, this made the links between crypto and CFI more uh, weaker. And this is why we have stable coins, because you can withdraw from an exchange and go on-chain, and then you remove the, the risk on the exchange legal entity and then the, the, also the registry restriction risk around it, and then you have a, a token. And so you trade one risk against the other one. And what is the, the other risk? The stablecoin? Well, it depends on the stablecoin you have. Uh, recently, we had a DPEG event. What does that mean? It means that the, the token is not believed by the market to be really one, worth one US dollar anymore. 
this happened over a weekend, which is a time where the banks are not working. So people can't arbitrage. And because of Signature Bank being shut down, the, the fast payment mechanism that we had in the industry were suspended. And so people couldn't arbitrage anymore. And then the peg was restored on Monday. If this hadn't happened, then the whole USD stablecoin could have failed. But the reserves were there, so there was no reason for this to happen. So it was more like a, a panic on, on the market. People were afraid the banks were not there. So people start panic selling their USD against, I don't know, Ether or other things. Uh, and some other people bought and, and arbitrage and made 10% on their trade. That's super interesting. And I guess one thing that became obvious, as you mentioned, is in fact, when people do buy stable coins, what's really going on behind the scenes is that a lot of that is then converted into fiat and put in traditional bank accounts. So there necessarily is a link between the stable coin and also the traditional financial service industry, which wasn't necessarily visible to the whole of the market. I think the second interesting point you mentioned is that the arbitrage opportunities there also rely on TradFi. And when the banks are closed, then that is an event that is unpredicted. And it means that the stablecoin no longer lives up to its name. Looking at the consequence of that, you've mentioned ZeFi. Can you talk to us a little bit about DeFi and what that means and the consequence of these events for DeFi? So when we say ZeFi, what does that mean? Centralized finance and DeFi, decentralized finance. Why is centralized? Is because in finance, we have a legal entity like a bank where people make deposits. It's a regulated activity. But what happens is that there should be governance structures within this legal entity uh, that manage the risk. Most recently, when one of the big banks that were shut down in the US, there, there was no chief risk officer for many months. And so we see that the governance within the bank uh, is important and it matters how it is executed and how um, it is dealt with. On the other hand, we have DeFi. What does that mean? It means we have some software, some piece of software called smart contracts, which is a programming language on the blockchain. And because it's on the blockchain, it's uh, immutable and people, some people are able to verify it, but not always. And, uh, and it can be updated on chain. So it doesn't mean that once it's there, it never changes. So it's a big uh, misunderstanding. Uh, there were some marketing uh, terms in this industry a few years ago. Uh, immutable. It's not immutable. It's software. Software is alive. There are bugs, there are fixed feature updates, it's competitive. There are many decks, decentralized exchanges uh, competing, so there are new features needed. So it's always being updated. So, so there is a misunderstanding. Even with smart contracts that are being audited, then six months later, it can be completely different. And we've seen hacks happen just in this kind of scenario. It is very hard to keep track with uh, the velocity of change in software. But why does this exist? Is because um, once you, you put your digital assets into a smart contract, theoretically, the governance matters less. So you don't have a few people at, at the, the, the very senior level who can um, take any action with these assets. They are not really custodian. The code is a custodian instead of the team, the governance structure of the bank. And if the code is well written and if the the design of the, the 
financial product, so DeFi financial product is well thought and well executed, then uh, the risk is this personal risk is mitigated. It's not always the case. You can have a smart contract where some users, some administrative users have a special key and then they can stop the smart contract or steal everything out of it. So um, it's not because of smart contract that the design is correct and that the implementation is correct and that there is no uh, software update later. But the vision is that in the best case, when all these things are done correctly, the design, the implementation and the software updates, then you remove this centralized risk. And, and, and it's very interesting that last year when you had the stress in the crypto industry, what happened is all the, the structure which were, had the centralized uh, governance elements, some huge funds, some uh, decentralized stable coins. We saw that some decentralized stable coins were not so decentralized. Um, but at the same time, of these centralized structures in crypto were failing. We had other ones like the, 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 the decentralized exchanges like Uniswap kept operating 24-7. There was no missing deposit because all the deposits could be audited on chain in real time. So you can so see exactly how much money there is in the exchange. There is no counterparty risk in the DEX because um, the, the assets are there and visible. And, uh, and so you can't have uh, 1.5 additional uh, Bitcoin in the exchange. It's just by design impossible. And, and, and the same happened with the lending platform. Centralized lending platform failed last year. Some regulated in the US. Some major ones are big, billion dollar entities are, uh, because they, their financial model made the bet that BTC would not go under 20K. Something like that. And so it happened that it did. And in that case, a lot of assets are missing. Well, the DeFi lending platforms, people, there was no such bet, centralized bet, uh, hidden from the market participants. You could see the rates and you knew how much it cost you to pay your loan. And if you don't pay it, you will be liquidated. But you know the contract, basically. That's the difference with a, a loan on the DeFi platform. You know the contract, and you, you can see in real time that the assets are there and not being uh, used on a leverage bet. Exactly. So I think that's a big difference. So that's super interesting. Thank you, Shogun. So is it fair to say that not all stable coins are alike? That's a great point. I think some of them are unstable coin or <laughs> maybe uh, uh, algo coin is a maybe a more neutral word uh, and more respectful of the um, innovation attitude of the people who create them. And, and it could still happen that it works. I've heard some ideas that are interesting, but it's really hard to um, for me to, to judge of these ideas, I think. So I think the take the takeaway is that in non-traditional markets, they still operate, they're still impacted by many of the drivers that TradFi is driven by. So there are speculators, there are people looking for arbitrage opportunities, and then there are people who just treat the non-TradFi industry as, as a utility. But long story short, what we're seeing is that the interrelationship of the two is much more visible to many people than it was as a result of these very recent events. So, Jérôme, if we were having this conversation in 12 months' time, what do you think we would be speaking about? I think in 12 months' time, it will be April 2024, which will be uh, the next Bitcoin supply. So we have this halving cycle. 
what is Bitcoin? It's, uh, it's the first digital asset which has this predictable supply. So we have this halving cycle. The production of Bitcoin every 10 minutes we create a, a block reward. This is given to the network participants, the miners, as a reward for their economic effort to secure the network. And this has started uh, 2008, 2009. Every four years, the supply the, is halved. The, the production of Bitcoin is halved. So this is the Bitcoin halving. And, and this drives the whole industry four-year cycle. It's a very strange thing. Maybe it's the strangest thing in, in crypto. Everything is indexed on that. And, and, and will it happen again this time? And we've seen in March 2023 right now that, again, we are breaking the bear market and starting with bull market. So is it this time will be different? Nobody knows. But um, in, in 12 months' time, the, the market could start uh, a very uh, next phase of very bullish momentum. So thank you very much, Shuren, for your time. We really appreciate your insights and we'd love to have you back to hear your thoughts on this intervening period. So thank you. That would be great. Thank you very much. You've been listening to We Talk Banking and Finance from Walkers. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share and subscribe.